Welcome to The Garden Pod, episode three. Uh, two releases in one week this week, which is unprecedented in the long and illustrious history of this podcast. Uh, carry on listening today if you are interested in skills. And by skills, we mean the uh, qualities, competencies, and skills that students require to be successful in the world beyond and indeed during school. Uh, you may have heard these have been referred to as 21st century skills or soft skills in some cases. Um, if you're familiar with things like the IB Learner Profile, they often come up on documents like that. And what we're talking about here is collaboration, we're talking about resiliency, we're talking about critical thinking, uh, community involvement, managing emotions, these types of things. Um, so this podcast will talk to two members of the school's senior leadership, it will be Etienne and Dan from the primary and secondary leadership teams uh, and we'll really be having a chat about how we can effectively embed these skills within our learning and teaching and within the curriculum at school and why they're important. So if that's what you're into uh, or if that might be useful to you then listen on. If not then of course have another look on the list of our podcasts. We've got one now on parenting in the digital world and one on um, data and use of data for learning bit of admin um, okay a couple of things if you like what you hear then please give us a review on iTunes um, because apparently that's really important in allowing other people to discover the podcast you can also share this with uh, friends family loved ones etc etc uh, via any particular device whatsapp facebook etc etc um, so please do that if you want to um, and finally big news is the garden pod has its own twitter account so far we have, let's have a look, 23 followers. So that is, that is flying. Um, and we can have, you can use that for questions or comments and etc. To get in touch with us via the Garden Pod Twitter account, you need to use the handle at GIS underscore Garden Pod. At GIS underscore Garden Pod. Uh, that's it, I think, for admin. So without further ado, um, We've Got Skills is the name of today's podcast. And we'll be talking to Dan Norbury and Etienne Visser. Okay, hello. Today we are sitting with um, two two guests. Thanks for coming in, fellas. Uh, we've got Etienne Visser from Primary School. And Etienne, what's your role in the school? Uh, I'm the assistant dean of primary. And we've got Dan Norbury, who is the assistant head of secondary. All right, so two pretty important people, and of course me. Um, right, what we're going to be talking about today is skills, um, and Dan, maybe you could start us off. What do we mean by skills? Well, skills are the qualities and attributes, I suppose, that are going to serve individuals for a long time into their life. After they've forgotten the geography that I've taught them, the skills that I've taught them are going to be things that they fall back on when they meet challenges in their life in the future. So a lot of schools have these, don't they? Um, sometimes they're called 21st century skills, sometimes they're called soft skills, I don't know if you've heard them, any other terms. So what kinds of things are we talking about here? In broad strokes, what do most schools have? Uh, I think in terms of um, getting children to think out, uh, differently yeah. and uh, engage with deeper learning, and higher order thinking. So there are, I think most schools really zoom in on that uh, to encourage 
that, that children are giving the opportunities for those higher order thinking yeah. uh, learning opportunities. The sort of um, yeah. problem solving would be a very common one yeah. that we see, wouldn't it? Um, and then we've got things like collaboration, uh, organisation, those, those type of things get banded around quite a lot. Then we've also got things like resiliency and emotional kind of stuff, which people sometimes say, well, Dan, you know, that's not a skill. How would you respond to that? Well, I think if people, if, if adults who are making that argument, perhaps they've been very fortunate in their lives to never have to come up against a challenge that has um, been difficult. We all, to a person, at some point in our lives are going to face challenges, whether those are personal or professional. And I think if we neglect those sorts of skills in schools, then we're setting our students up for potential failure, potential um, mental health issues in the future as well. Yeah, and I think sometimes we get into a bit of a semantic argument. So we at the school call it our GCGC, we don't, we don't, we call it our GIS learner skills. So we use this word skills, but we recognise that they're, they're also qualities and competencies, but that's a bit of a mouthful. Mm. Um, so I don't think we can say this all the time. The other thing, um, or the other bit that I think this links to is things like the IB learner profile, which lots of people are familiar with. I think there was some stuff in the UK, wasn't there? I can't remember the name. Can you remember the name of the... Uh, they did a big push on this type of stuff. Learning to learn. There was a learning to learn push and those pelts. That was it, the pelts program and things like that. So that's what we're talking about. Now we've really tried to work hard on identifying our skills quite specifically. So we're going to risk it and we're going to try and run you through our skills. (laughs) Right? So, um, Dan, how many skills, remember they're qualities and competencies too, but how many have we got? So we've got five skills, and within each of the skills we have three strands. So that's a total of 15 strands that we've identified as being important. Okay, so let's we just go really quickly through those five strands. So yeah. first strand, first sorry, skill is? Think differently. All right. And within that we've got solving problems, imagination, innovation, and taking risks. Okay, so some of them are fairly self-explicit. Solving problems is about strategies for, for solving problems. Mm-hmm. Imagination and innovation, what's that all about? That's about taking inspiration from things around you and being able to innovate, create something that is new and better than the previous thing. Yeah, and a lot of kind of design thinking type principles, ideation, that type of stuff. Um, Solving problems, that's it? Uh, It's totally taking risks, aren't we? We're taking risks. So solving problems is all about problem solving, and we know what impact that has on on learning. So it's not just about looking at a problem, but it's then looking at that problem and breaking it down into smaller problems, solving those problems, and acquiring those skills then to be looking at how do I find the solutions, where do I look for the solutions. And the idea here is they are transferable across different areas of your life or subjects or there are certain sort of strategies or approaches that we might be able to take to solving problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, taking risks, wasn't it, was the last one, sorry. Um, we mean by taking risks, what, what are we trying to encourage there? Well, we know that from, from lots of research that when you're in your comfort zone that is not when the best learning is happening by taking risks you're stepping out of your comfort zone into an area that might be challenging but also the area that you're probably going to be learning the most from and we really want to encourage our students to do that to look at new avenues for for their own development and that's where we might be looking at things like uh, direct work 
own growth mindset and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Okay, we're going to go quite quickly through the others because <laughs> otherwise this might become a bit tedious. Um, okay, so our second skill set is? Right, so we have learned together. Yeah. So this is all about collaboration. And we believe that you should be able to learn as an individual and understand that. But learning together, uh, there's an there's important aspect of being able to collaborate with others and what you get from that. So under Learn Together, we have communication. Yeah. And the communication's a bit different, isn't it? So let's go, let's flip back to um, building team strengths, first yep. of all. That's how we work together. That's, um, that's how I, as a part of a team, can make that team better and recognize that my behaviors will impact upon a team. Then we've got leadership. And that follows on really nicely from the building team strengths because we know that within a team, there's often a, a necessity to have a leader and that's about leading with compassion uh, and direction and empathy um, within the team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then communication there is not about how we communicate with one another. That's very much within the building team strengths and the leadership strands. Uh, that's more about how we communicate ideas yeah. um, through, through mediums like film or public speaking, etc., etc. All right, what's next? Then we've got Be Resilient. This is, I suppose, what we were referring to before as those soft skills, um, the things that some people might say, it's not our job in school, um, it's, it's, it just happens. Um, so things like determination, being able to manage emotions, and um, knowing and understanding what a healthy lifestyle is and valuing that and being able to implement strategies to, to live a balanced, healthy, happy life. And this is the one that's probably the hardest to evaluate and measure, would you say? Um, Yes, because I think a lot of it will come out of the evidence for it is going to come out of things like personal reflection and discussion. Mm. Um, so very hard to measure progress. Yeah, mm. and you could also argue that you never have mastered managing your emotions. I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a really good point because yeah. things are going to come at you in life that are going to blindside you, no matter how good you think you are at managing your emotions. Yeah. But just the idea that you're aware of your emotions, exactly. aware that which kind of situations triggers it in emotions. Yeah. And that's the I difference. That's people, have, people have argued, argued in, in meetings I've been in and, and discussions about this where, you know, well, you can't do that because you're never master managing your emotions. There'll always be stuff, as Dan said, coming at you. But Etienne, you bang on, I think, that if you have strategy, if you understand what impact certain things have, if you can recognise those red flags of where your stress might be occurring, then you're more likely to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. But I think that goes for any one of the skills because it's, skills will not be something that you measure in number. You're not going to say this guy is 100% resilient or 100% able to think differently. Hmm. Uh, it's not that measurable. No. It's more, like you said, evidence, self-reflection, those kind of things that's going to... Yeah. Um, and just because it's not measurable sort of quantitatively... Yeah. We, we would argue that actually you should be putting in measures to try your best to see if you're improving against these skills. Yeah. yeah. So we've got two left. So ask questions. Yeah. This is a really important one, especially when we teach research and so forth, and in inquiry, because we want children to be able to ask questions about what's going on in the world, not just accept knowledge and facts as being true. Yeah. So under ask questions, we have questions and conclusions. So how do you formulate your questions? Look yeah. at a big question, breaking it down into smaller questions. How do you research stuff? Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. And then evaluate and improve. So yeah. exactly looking at content, evaluating it. Do you agree with this? 
can I improve on something that's already there? Yeah, and working out strategies of, of how I can get feedback to evaluate, to improve, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, organization, which is an important aspect of learning, because if you are an organized learner, you will be more successful in your learning. So this is how do I organize myself? Yeah. How do I become prepared as a learner? Right. And then we're into our last one. Which is get involved. And I think this sort of encompasses what we're aiming for in terms of a uh, community spirit for people to create a sense of belonging within the, within the school, um, within the community of KL, and then in the, the global community. So within that we have respect and personal values, and that's about the way that we act and respond to one another. We have our community, which is about the contributions that uh, we can make in, on different scales uh, within not just the school, but the, the community of Malaysia and perhaps the world. And then wider world is obviously looking at the, the more global impact that we as individuals can have. I like that, that we start with our personal values, mm. how we behave on an individual level and treat each other that we meet, then how we behave as a community and mm. how we become part of that, and then how our community feeds into the wider world. Yeah. You know, so it's just come to me. And I mean, ultimately, <laughs> we, we want our children to find a place in the wider world. They yeah. need to know what's my place in the world. Yeah. And I think this skill really equips them to understand that you have a place in the wider world. And then if you have that place, what impact yeah. do you yeah, have? Yeah, that idea of empowerment, which I think, um, you know, when, when I was a kid at school, it was the, the club where you wrote letters to your MP to, to try and effect change. So if, if kids are getting involved in this sort of thing, they're understanding that they can affect change in the world. Did your MP reply? Absolutely, we had a great MP. Yeah. Can't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so, all right then. Why do we do this? Because um, in schools we hear a lot in the, sort of the, the media around attainment, don't we? So whether that's examination results at the top end of the school or there was a big furor in the UK around SAT, um, mm-hmm. SATs last year and the year two English SATs in particular, wasn't it? Um, and then we've got things like the PISA testing all comes out. So why do we, why do, we do this? I think um, there's, there's clear evidence from employers and universities who are saying that the students that they've been getting over the past 10, 20 years do not have the necessary skills to be successful um, in study or in the workplace um, and in life in general. So there's a lot of research that is that is saying that actually the grades, as, as you've just mentioned, um, are not the most important thing. And we've got examples of Harvard University um, saying that the grades are actually secondary to the other things that the student is going to bring to, to the university. And it's really encouraging for us um, having have done so much work on the GIS skills to have that validation from a, um, such a highly recognised institution. Yeah, I think there's, sorry, I think it's because even tertiary <coughs> education, they are realising that we, we are preparing children for a future that we don't even know what it looks like. Hmm. So it's not like we're providing kids with skills to become plumbers or what occupations like we had in the past. We don't know what jobs are going to exist in the future. Yeah. And the only way really to prepare people, children for the future is to equip them with the skills that they can use to create their own jobs, yeah. to innovate and to come up with things that do not exist. So. Yeah, And that, that idea has been around for a while now and people like Ken Robinson, 
John Jones, and I've been talking about this for a long time, to the point where it almost feels like it's become a bit cliche. And I think sometimes we get a bit embarrassed to sort of say that again because we're repeating the message, but nothing's till things change. You know, maybe maybe we do need to um, mm. carry on with that message. The other thing for me is I just look at those skills and forget the research for a minute. I think that's brilliant. I think it's great that Harvard's coming in and, and forget about the future job market. I just look at those skills and I would say to anybody, have a look at those and tell me that you do not want your kid to, to be able to do those yeah. things. You know, if you could be a fly on the wall in 20 years' time, and you could watch your kid, what would you hope to see that they would resilient? You'd hope to see that they could respect and, um, each other and have personal values that were strong, that they could collaborate, that they could solve problems. These are things that you, we definitely want to see. So, I, I think when, when I started at GIS six years ago, um, I didn't immediately have buy-in. At that time, the skills were pretty raw still, right? We had the skills wheel. And I remember my first parent-teacher conference, I was sat down with a parent, um, going through the APP grids, looking at attainment and where his child is, and and he looked up. I had a huge display of the skills wall, of the skills wheel on the wall, and he stopped me and he said, "You know what? I want to focus on those because I know the child is in year three at the point that if my child it will be able to demonstrate these skills in his life, he will be successful." The parents said the that. The parent told wow. me that, yeah, cool. stopping me from talking about the attainment and the APP grids. Yeah. And that's where I kind of really stopped and thought about, oh my gosh, you know, he's actually yeah. right. And th that's where my buy-in in the GIS learning skills started. So that brings up a really interesting point because there is a debate here, isn't there? There are people, definitely, that would say, we shouldn't be concentrating on this. So I think we've got to do that justice. Why, why, where, where's that debate coming from? Um, and is it, do we think it's valid? <laughs> I guess we don't because we're doing this, but we need to recognise that. We need to recognise that. Any, any thoughts? I think for educators, most educators just feel more secure if they are in control of a situation hmm. and they are able to measure and assess and put a number on things. You feel in control, you know that my kids know their 10 times tables because we've been drilling it and there's the test results, it shows it. Hmm. With skills, you can't really achieve that. Mm. You need to be able to sometimes let go, stand back, observe, give feedback, and not be in control that much. So I think that's where a lot of insecurity comes in with a lot of people. And I, I would argue that most people who are against a skills-based education are people that are all about road learning, memorizing facts, facts are important, we need the content. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of that pendulum. I, I also think we're operating in a system where, where ultimately we are measured on our exam results, or that is, that is a key measure that is... That's society's measure, right? It's society's measure, that's what I'm looking for, exactly. And you know, parents understand that, um, teachers understand that, students understand four A's that is really good mm. um, now it's difficult or it can be difficult for people to understand how focusing on the skills our GIS skills is going to help them to achieve the grades that they're aiming for and that's one of the arguments I suppose some people fear that if they're losing control of the of the class as you said Etienne um, that it might be at the expense of the knowledge and the understanding that they need 
in order to do well on in the exam. Well, essentially, the school economy is a knowledge economy. Exactly. And, and we will argue later that, that actually you can have both. Hopefully. You should have both. You should have both, yeah. exactly right. It's huh? not throwing the baby out of the basket. Yeah. Because what child that is taking risks mm. is organized and it's good at problem solving, can ask questions. What child will not be successful if they have these skills yeah. academically? Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's some theory come out and there's a, there's a, uh, towards the sort of, I guess you'd call them the political right, certainly in, in Europe and America, uh, are still very much focused on knowledge. There's some cognitive domain theory which has come out, which has suggested this idea that you can't transfer across domains and that you can't do con some conceptual stuff until you've got a, a solid base in, in knowledge. And I think what frustrates me with that is they're probably right to a degree, but that doesn't mean that you only concentrate on knowledge exactly you know or you only concentrate on skills mm. and it just seems to be when these discussions come up primarily in the media that it's one or the other and i think what we'll try and spend the next sort of 10 minutes or so doing is saying actually what we want to do is bring those two things together we want to use the skills to help develop knowledge develop understanding um, and develop something language that we use from UBD here, which is an American concept, understanding by design, transfer goals, things that you can transfer beyond school into your next year at school, and so on. Yeah. Um, so that debate could go on for a long time. So if anybody wants to come on and argue with that properly, then... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, right, okay, so what are we going to do now? Now we're going to look at what have we done then that's a bit different. Okay, so the IB's got their IB learner profile. Most schools around the world, if you go on the website, they'll say we are growing great collaborators or we are getting kids to be determined or grit or growth mindset, et cetera, et cetera. So what are we doing this time? I think um, listening to Etienne talk about the skills wheel is a, a useful reminder, I suppose, of where we've come on the journey, um, which is having, well, a lot of schools do, and there's nothing wrong with this, um, but having a fairly superficial set of learner attributes or skills that are on a wall and not really referred to in a meaningful way. So what is different is that we have tried and are continuing to improve the way that we embed our skills learning within lessons and within uh, learning opportunities across the curriculum. And one of the approaches that we've taken to that we call our skills ladders, um, which is basically where we take building team strengths and we've deconstructed that into a five-step, what does this look like? What does this look like at a sort of initial end, usually with younger kids, but not exclusively, mm -hmm. right? We could have any, we could have adults in this situation. And that might be things, Etienne's actually got the ladder in front of him. So some of the words that come up um, in the building team strengths, one at the lower end would be kind of, I can value what other people say. And then we go up to the top end, that's more recognizing and finding ways to recognize key strengths um, and utilizing other people's strengths where you might have a weakness. So although a ladder is linear in, it, in its nature, what we're saying is that we've deconstructed these skills into five steps, which can be looked at at any point in time, at any age. Um, is that, would that be a fair yes. summation? Yeah. 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 Um, and why do we think that these ladders are helpful, I guess is my, my other question. And you can see these, by the way, sorry, we'll put a link to the ladders on the podcast um, blurb, so um, you can have a click in, that might be useful, otherwise this might seem a bit... Mm -hmm. So by, yeah, by, by defining what 
the skill is and what it looks like at different levels of competency, it enables us to then embed it in a lesson much more meaningfully. So within building troop strength, for example, it will be de- very difficult in one, two, three, five lessons to do the whole of build, be building team strengths to teach what it is to be a good team player takes many, many different aspects. So by breaking them down, we would be able to focus on one small aspect of it, which might be celebrating the success of others. And we could build activities and opportunities for learning just around how you can celebrate success of others in different ways and how to make it meaningful. Right, fantastic. So you've, you've answered my question way better than I answered my own question, but then you've taken us to another another step. So let's just let's just yeah. clarify that and then we'll move on to the next bit. So essentially what we're saying that we're trying to do a little bit differently is deconstruct each skill into a very clear set of competencies within this greater competency um, to try and help teachers and students understand what good building team strength looks like or what good leadership looks like or what good organisations looks like. And then what Dan was alluding to there was we're then able, when we're planning a a unit, so Dan's a geography teacher and Etienne is a primary specialist, um, so units of inquiry for example, what might we do? So we might take that ladder, maybe Etienne, maybe give us a Insight. So I, I think it depends on the topic and, and the focus of that unit, but just the fact that you can zoom in, look at the ladder, zoom in on one of the steps, and look at that language and then decide how am I going to use this step as a vehicle to achieve the knowledge and understanding that I want as an outcome of this unit. Yeah. And I mean, this is a very powerful vehicle because you can either use a child's presentation skills and the child being able to present what they've learned successfully, develop that throughout the unit, and then the content, feed the content into that. Yeah. Um, so it happens in more natural. So we might take a unit of inquiry. Can you just give us an example from choose a year group and a unit of inquiry? Um, let's think uh, year four. At the moment, they are. Not that, they have a unit on palm oil. Okay. So they will look at is palm oil good for Malaysia? Yeah. For example. Okay. So that's a, that's a great inquiry that will involve lots of research skills and so on too. We could choose something from the questions and conclusions ladders. Yeah. But let's keep, stick with the building team strengths example. Mm-hmm. Right. Say okay, as part of this palm oil inquiry, we want the kids to work together. Right. And by working together, we will hope that the outcome will be improved because of that collective work. Yeah. But just putting them in a team or just putting them in a group will not necessarily achieve that. No. Right? If we want them to work better in a group, then we need to zoom in, as you said. So let's zoom in onto something like this. I show that I value what other people say and think. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm planning my inquiry. I'm planning all the learning objectives or learning goals around that. I'm thinking, right, if these guys can work together and listen to each other more effectively and value what each other people think and take all of those opinions... That will help the project. Would, yes. that, be, would that be fair to say? Mm-hmm. And, and especially good for this topic because there will be a lot of debating going on. Is palm oil good for Malaysia? Some right. people might think it is, some people might think it isn't. But then the, the skill there is then to have respect for those differences in opinions. So what we might do then is we might set up a, a part of that inquiry where we look at something like active listening, which is incredibly powerful. And if anybody's there, they've done like an active listening workshop. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, how does our body language, how does our eye contact, how does our listening 
actually help us to understand and value what other people think. And how often when we have conversations, are we actually listen, I'm listening to Dan, but I'm really thinking about what I want to say next. How often do we do that? <laughs> so we can break that down with the kids and, and say, right, this is what active listening looks like. So we can do some exercises um, to help them with that. And then we can put them into a, a situation which is related directly to the project where they've got to use those active listening um, skills that they've been developing to get those different opinions and maybe formulate them into something. Yes. Yeah? All right. Great. Okay. So we've done that. Brilliant. Great. They're all great active listeners now. Yes, I. Are they indeed? Yes. Done? Beautifully, beautifully done. So, we would say no. All right, probably not. Or at least you don't know yet, do you? Exactly. Yep. So, what would we maybe do later on in that inquiry? Well, we might have a checkpoint at that point yep. to try and figure out whether they are or whether they need some some more support. Yeah. And then at some point down the line, we need to set up a situation where they're going to have to be active listeners again. Yeah without realising that that's what you're looking for. And I love that, yes. right? So this is this idea of like covert testing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to deliberately set up something which would be Palmar related, which could quite possibly be controversial, which is likely to elicit different responses and emotions. And we can set that up in a covert test and get them right go. This might be a week later after they've done the active listening mm-hmm. stuff. Now, I'd probably set a little video up as well. So they're actually videoing themselves whilst they're doing this. And maybe even secretly, I've done this before. Mm-hmm. Ethically, okay? Delete the videos afterwards. <laughs> um, can we um, video them while they're doing it, right? Why might I do that? Creates an opportunity for them to then see themselves and then reflect upon yeah. how well they're doing against that. Yeah, which um, they've statement. done themselves, right, yes. earlier on. So they've got, they know what active listening looks like. They've got their criteria, they might have a worksheet on it, mm-hmm. broken down. They can actually use that to test themselves against that. And in terms of understanding what active listening is, that, that idea about uh, metacognition, yeah. from watching yourself, against, measuring yourself against some criteria, that could be incredibly powerful. Right. And how powerful if three, four months down the line, because teachers will always go back and remind them of this unit. Remember in that unit when we did the active listening mm-hmm. so it's not that that's going to be forgotten if three four months down the line you do a topic on totally something different your focus is on a total different skill you record them again assessing that but then remind them and say how's your active listening now in comparison to what it was then and that's one of our challenges of leadership within the school isn't it to try and make sure that we're mapping and making sure that people are aware of what's been covered where and maybe we won't go into that now but I think for our own staff at the school that's something that we're looking at quite closely. That's really, really important. So can we sum that up? If we're going to do this well, you know, Etienne, you use this phrase, zooming in. So rather than talking, and tell me if I'm wrong, but rather than talking generically about building team strengths, we're actually breaking that down, using the ladders that we've got, we're zooming in on something that's very specific and focused, and we're trying to develop them in that area to improve the outcome of the other things that we want them to learn mm-hmm. because we think that will help them with that. Right. At the end of that inquiry, what might we want to see? Because usually inquiries have got a celebration or a, an event at the end or an exhibition or something. Mm-hmm. How could we show that within something, something like an exhibition? So this could maybe be a presentation to parents yeah. on what they've learned or advocating a course if they believe that palm oil is destructive to the environment mm. they might have a booth set up without advocating that mm. course you might not in that presentation 
or at that booth, mm. we're able to tell that these children can work well in a team or listen mm. to each other. But if they were able to do it, then the quality of that product in the end is going to be so much better. Yeah. So it should, it should be self-evident in the product, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd probably push a little bit harder and say, I think we can. So there's a, a project that DT do in year nine, yeah. F1 in schools, and they have to present to some judges, and part of the criteria, I know there's a big difference between year nine and year four, but part of their criteria for the presentation is that they critically evaluate the process that they've been through as a team, and that involves how well have we worked together as a team, what were our challenges, what did we do to overcome them, how successful were we in the end? And how did this help us to come up with this F1 car or this yeah. presentation on that? And something that gets forgotten so often is this idea of process. Dweck talks about it all the time, mm. right? We need to put as much emphasis on the process as we do on the product. That doesn't mean the product is not going to be good and the product should be credible, it should be good, it should be decent. We should have high expectations of it. But let's tell, look at the process. And a word that's come to me a lot recently, I don't know where it came from, the story. What's the story of your learning about this Palmer thing? Tell us how you learned it. How did you go about it? What did you? What helped you? What didn't help you? So you're working as this group. It's a, it's a, it's a rich story, narrative that can be told, which the product doesn't do justice to. Yeah. You know, quite often I think, mm. and that's something that we can learn from. I think that we that we that we must spend time. And celebrate that process as much, or that story as we as we much. I think that I think there's a link to our exam culture there as well. With the, you know, we're we're constantly thinking about the end goal of the exams, and they are important. We're not saying that they are not, but we need to pay a lot of attention to what's going on to get to that point. Yeah. So it's worth committing time to thinking about what is going well, what strategies can I use to improve along the journey yes are we willing to accept that this might take a little bit longer we yes. are yeah and, and I think you know this has been part of discussions we've had with teachers in the school and something that people are find it hard to let go of the the knowledge and understanding we talked about people are passionate about their subjects and they want the kids to be enthusiastic and passionate about history or geography or whatever it may be which is wonderful which is brilliant. Yeah. We, that's a, one of the most important things that a teacher can, can do for a, for a yeah. student is to, to fire the enthusiasm. So they find it difficult to let go of some of the content. Mm. But if we're placing as much um, emphasis and importance on developing the skills, then we do have to let go mm. of yeah. something. And if we do that well, you could strongly argue, and I know that the late Paul Guinness um, in particular, who, who's had a great influence on this school, he, he said, the worst thing that will happen is that your knowledge and stuff will remain the same. That's like the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is actually it will dramatically improve because the skills that we've looked at develop them, developing have helped them to reach stronger knowledge independently. You know? um, and I, I really like that. And I think that's important. But I think the caveat there is we understand, and Dan and I are both secondary trained, um, that this is an extremely tough challenge up in the high years of the school, isn't it? Yeah. Not one I don't think we should ignore, but we must recognise that that's, that's tough. Yeah. And, and, and we need to keep thinking about that regularly. Right, we were going to talk a little bit about a system that we've developed at school called Athena, which is a way of tracking evidence against our skills. Um, but I think we might save that for another day. That could be a whole podcast on its own. It could, couldn't it? 
exciting. Um, so we'll leave that, but basically we've got a portfolio mechanism that allows us to uh, evaluate evidence of the skills progression as the students go, which is pretty cool. Um, the other thing I would say, Dan, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pick up on, on, a, on a little comment that was made earlier that you know, year nine and year four look different. I'm not 100% sure that they do in terms of that learning story and, and process. I think, you know, I work across that whole school now and what I see is such similarity in those stories, whether it's year 13 or year two sometimes. It's interesting because I was a judge at that F1 for schools. Oh, yeah. So it was really interesting sitting in and seeing the children present. And it wasn't much different than our year fours pitching their chocolate products to mm. a panel of experts mm. from Cadbury's on why they should buy their chocolates. Um, of course, the vocabulary is a little bit more uh, refined. and Some of the thinking might be slightly higher order or conceptually more, more yes. advanced. But. but the idea and the model of the child standing there pitching an, an idea or product um, that's pretty similar, I think. Yeah. I think that's important because that means that we as primary or secondary teachers are actually all singing from the same hymn sheet. We're trying to do the same mm. things and trying to promote these skills. All right. Um, any other comments, I guess? Any thoughts that might be interesting? For me, I think that the strength in our ladders, if you read through them, because teachers will often say, oh, but we need to focus on science um, skills and we need to focus on art skills and we need to focus on research skills. If you read through the ladders, most of those skills are already covered in the GIS um, skills ladders. Yeah. And I think the power of our, that, that's where the power lies. And that's where the yeah. best thing we can do is use them. Yes. Right? So when you're thinking about research, you're getting into that ladder and using our common language. Yeah. I had a bit of a light bulb moment in a conversation with a science teacher the other day actually we were talking in a large group of curriculum leaders about intervention and they were talking about the challenges of intervention and not just going over the same knowledge and understanding again to help them get better in an exam and we talked about the fact that you know these students that are the band D, band C students are probably struggling across the board so it's not that they need to learn more science, they need to learn how to organize themselves, they need to learn how to learn effectively, they need to know how to have a balanced lifestyle and do effective research. Yeah. Where does that come from? It comes from focusing on the, the skills. Mm -hmm. And I think to finish with, if I may, the, you know, at the start we said, what do we do this for? And we do this in essence, the kids that leave our school, whether they're 18 years old or seven years old, are equipped with the strategies, skills, qualities and competences that they need to be as successful as they can be in the world. And I think that's a really great thing for us to strive to do. And um, thank you so much for talking to us today. Great to see you. Great to have you. Enjoyable half hour. Thank yeah. you. No All right. Bye-bye.